what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Today's episode of the show is brought to you by Einswick Dog Quip, who is our good friend Jason Furman, and we are recording him now a new ad because it's very exciting to announce that he has Firepaw Mills now. That's pretty cool. Yep. So it's another brand of mill that he has. So he still has the HF mills. You can get those from him. And he's a distributor now for Firepaw, which is, a, I think they're a UK-based mill. And he's got the spring poles as well, I've seen. Yep. Spring poles. Spring pole mounts. All that, all the good gear. So everything you can do if you're into the GRC side of thing, which is really starting to take off around yep. the world now. Yep. Jason's got a lot of that gear available yep. on his website. Well, not his website. He hasn't got a website. No, he doesn't he? Have a website. He does Facebook. Bloody Facebook. You got to find him on Facebook. Einswick Dog Quip on Facebook. Get yourself on a bloody website, Jason. Yeah, Squarespace. Not that hard. Yeah. If you need anything, really, he's a distributor for Herm Springer. He can get you branded leashes, tugs, balls. If you need it in dogs, talk to Jason. Yeah, he's great contact in the field. Get you whatever you need. Einswick Dog Quip. Einswick Dog Quip. Einswick. Einswick. <laughs> Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Hi, everyone. It's just us. Just us again. Yeah. Had a uh, fairly intense podcast last week. Yeah. <laughs> and we I'm did, sure yeah. that you've had quite a few people reach out to you because I know I've had a lot of people. Yeah, uh, I think I've had, it probably is literally hundreds of people actually in various mm. forms reach out, which has been pretty cool. Yeah. So it was, it was good. It was well deserving of being put out there. I'm really, as I know you Definitely must be, but I'm really proud of Karen that she was prepared to let that go to air. Yeah. I mean, that's a real intense struggle for any family to go through. And I think you walk past a lot of people in life and just don't realize some of the shit that they burden from a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I spoke to Karen and I messaged her and was like, hey, have you heard it? And you're okay with it? And she was fine. Yeah. It is. It's all their business, but I feel like it was a story that maybe a lot of what I know now for sure that there's a lot of people in- uh, situations that are not necessarily similar, but they've taken a lot from it, yeah, and it's going to help them. So it's good that, that isn't that the wonderful thing about it though is that as part of somebody's story, somebody's plight, that it can be educational for other people. They can look back on it and learn something and take something so valuable away from it. Um, and in some places, it gives people hope and courage. Mm. It gives them so many of the elements that they feel like they're missing, and or they feel like I think sometimes when you're you're not at your best or things are impacting on you that you kind of think maybe I'm the only one. Mm. And then when you hear that it's happening to other people, it kind of changes your perspective on it and makes you feel not better about it, but more understood, I guess, that Mm. it's not isolative and you're not just the only person that seems to be walking through hell on a a basis. Yeah. Mm. Well, and I guess something that I'm really glad that came from it is just the recognition that she's gotten. A lot of people sort of on the post had just pointed out 
what an amazing woman she is for, for managing yeah. through all that. And there's, you know, there's hundreds of or thousands of people in the same situation just grinding away all the time and don't get the recognition. So I'm glad that she did mm. um, through me telling that story. So anyway, moving on. Moving on. Mm. Um, what do, what's going on? Well, I wanted to discuss the whole concept of the positive first. So that has had some traction, right? That has had some traction and mostly positive traction from positive (laughs) first, (laughs) which is good. But I guess when you put something out there, anything, it's got to be open to criticism, both good and bad. And some people have come back and they said, I love it. I want to use it. And I think the nicest thing about it is that people are actually being so respectful about it that mm. they're they're asking if it's okay to use it. Mm-hmm. And if you want to use it, go right ahead and use it. Yeah. It's there to be shared. Yeah. If it means something to you and you believe that it describes what you're doing best as a trainer and if it interprets well to the people that you're reaching out to, go right ahead and use it. Mm-hmm. It's as I said, it's um, just every time you do Send Glenn a dollar. That's right. <laughs> Just one dollar, that's all. In whatever that currency you, you live and work in, whatever. Or if you want to, you can sponsor us on Patreon. <laughs> I, probably the I way. think that's a fair trade. So if you want to use it, go ahead and use it. When people publish scientific material, they do it because they're trying to improve the world around them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all using uh, Skinner stuff. We're using Pavlov stuff. We're yeah. using Thorndike stuff. We're using... Bob Bailey stuff we're using, and and we've all borrowed it from each other. I struggle with this sometimes when I listen to trainers and they're trying to be so authentic. And this is what I've been criticised for with the the positive first thing is people are saying, well, it's wordplay, it's you're poorly describing things and so forth. And that's okay. Like I said, I'm not bitter about it. I'm not twisted about it. I expected that there would be people that would say, it's not the right term. It doesn't describe what I want to do. And that's fine. Don't use it. If it doesn't sit well with you, if it doesn't sound like something that describes your practices, I totally understand that. And I was prepared to meet that criticism. To be honest, it's actually refreshing that people will feel confident and I guess kindly enough that they will put forward points that unpack it a little bit better, Mm -hmm. give you a bit of an open perspective on it, which was fine by me. What are your thoughts on it? I like it. Labeling anything is problematic, Yeah, I think. I've never thought that the word balance training sits well. I think that it does. It's a perfect word, except mm. that it was a word that was put onto us rather than given to us or or that we gave ourselves. I'm not sure. I don't know the origin of it. I think we actually gave it to ourselves because we we're looking at the matrix of motivation, the quadrants. Mm. We we're looking at those and basically saying, well, it kind of balances out. And nature kind of does. It's not kind of does, nature does balance out. If there's a heap of prey animals, then predators are on the rise. Yeah. If prey animals start reducing, then the predators start reducing as well. They they always find some sort of symbiosis to work well together. Yeah, you're right. Here's why I think it hasn't sat well with me forever, is that you might look at, say, a person who is 90% positive only trainer and yep. then just uses a few corrections in their training, That's right? not balanced. Right? Yeah. Well, but then you also, and they will call themselves a balanced trainer because they're willing That's to right. use punishment. Yeah, but it's and then you look at someone by terms, who, by but then you then you look at someone who is just yank and crank. Yeah, and and they'll do, call themselves and, a balanced trainer. That's right. Doesn't mm-hmm. use food in training, and it's just like purely just flattens dogs out. That's and a right. dog that is too scared to do anything, and yep. then thinks that's a good dog. And they both get to call themselves balanced trainers. Correct. And so it, it's not a very good descriptor. Yeah. And they hide in that label. Yeah. Yes. The only thing, as I think about it sitting here, 
that positive first infers, and I know that this is how you would apply it, but I think that the biggest problem amongst the modern balance trainer is the popo nay. Yep. And it, it would steer people more towards that saying positive first, which is true. Like that's even even when you're in Nipopo, you're still going to start positive. You that's have to right. build the dog up. Yeah. The new Nipopo stipulates that you start with food. Yeah. Which is a well, positive. Well, not necessarily food, but, but activation. You get the activation. dog going. Yeah. And so you start positive, but as trainers, we need to remember to still bring in the nay early so that it's a- uh, But you started with positive first. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean- yeah, so I'm not arguing it. Yeah. No, you um, are. But, but, but it's, it's okay to. That's the thing. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. No, but I'm not arguing okay. it. I'm just saying that's how people may interpret it. So yes. a lot of people might get sick because I see what- what I see commonly in, in the dog training community, when I see from a lot of people is they've, even the balance trainers are then popo nay and they will only, they only use punishment, right? <laughs> What's tricky in when we well, talk about this- they don't understand this, it and that's- No, but what I'm saying is they use punishment when things don't happen. Yeah. Not understanding that punishment can't make a dog do something. It can only stop something else. Yeah. And so you need to along the way for, for a dog, like I've said a million times, and this is really the foundation of everything that I'm teaching at the moment is for if you ask a dog to do something and he doesn't and you apply pressure and then he does, in order to have that happen, there needs to have been pressure along the way in the learning. So what I see commonly all the time is people who, this is the, I'm pretty sure I've explained this here before, but this is how a lot of dog trainers get into dog training, right? Mm. They've got a dog that's reactive or whatever. They've got a problem with their dog because they say, okay, I'm a reasonable person. I'm a balanced trainer. They use some kind of tool, whether it be e-collar, prong collar, slip lead, whatever. They apply pressure and they stop that thing happening. Mm. But they're typically that thing is happening outside in the world. And then the dog is uh, basically learns that they're, the pressure comes off in a loose leash walk. And I think a lot of people are under the impression that they're using punishment. I think that they're under the impression that they're using punishment. But I also think the dog is interpreting that as negative reinforcement into a loose leash walk. I think that dogs very rarely interpret punishment. And so then what happens is that person gets their dog and now it's uh, it's great. They, they, don't, they no longer have a problem with it. They've extinguished that behavior. Mm. Whether they've done that actually by extinguishing it via punishment or that they've locked their dog into a loose leash walk, it doesn't matter, but they've done it. The, whether that is – the problem, as I say, is that the only person – the only thing that can answer that question was, was that punishment or was that negative reinforcement is the dog. That's right. And it's so, always dictated by the dog. Yeah. Dog so responses. it doesn't matter which one it was, but now the dog is in a loose leash walk and is no longer reactive, for yep. example. Then that person gets into training and they teach the dog a bunch of things because they enjoy the process and they, they like it. They teach the dog sit down, stand, or, and a bunch of other behaviors, and it's all going well. And then one day they ask the dog to stand from the sit and the dog doesn't do it. So they apply some sort of pressure and nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, that dog then flips around into his loose leash walk because the pressure was the guiding force to that. It wasn't necessarily a punishment to stop and it certainly wasn't an activation to do loads of things. It was to do that one thing. Yeah, and, and it so, reverts into a default behavior. Yeah, and so mm. that's where people get stuck in the popo nay. They mm. can train a lot of things, but they can't use – they and, and it's flashy and it's great. And so long as the dog finds the reinforcer reinforcing, he'll continue to do it. But when there's a competing motivator or is not compliant for whatever reason, the pressure doesn't br- isn't able to bring on the behavior. Mm-hmm. And in order to have that 
happen, there has to be pressure in the learning phase at a time where the dog learns how to turn off the pressure before it is so much that it causes him any distress in any way, shape or form. Yep. And so that's where I think a lot of people who in balance training are caught up in the popo nay and the real method is knee popo. But then even saying knee popo forgets that there's a lot of, that's at some point, it's not the first point. I don't get my dog out and go straight to the negative. There's a long duration period. So of I'm the not positive. trying to invent po knee popo either. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that that's been said. It, but this is the problem of it's just language that we're using. Right? It is language, it's just tricky, but it and, always is, and everything is. Every single term that we know throughout history is language. It's a title or a label that somebody has looked at a set of ideals or observable behaviors yeah. and said I've I need to label that with something so it can be identified as a particular thing. So my feeling on the positive first is that among dog trainers there will be loads of reasons you could point out that it's a problematic term. Mm-hmm. I can think of a few. But as a colloquial term to use and the way that the general public use the term positive, I think it's the best term available to us. I think for sure the issue of language, as we say, is that positive really has the connotation of like good, happy, but for dog trainers, we, it's not that it's mm. add yep. positive as in plus symbol adding something to, and that's the way it's used in the scientific literature. Yeah, that's right. And even me and you right now in this conversation have used it in both forms. That's right. And we are able, we know each other very well and we know what we're talking about very well mm. and we can discern in which form we're using it, but it's not always so simple for other people. And I think that you're never going to, we are never going to be able to change the idea of, um, for the general public, the non-dog training public, mm. that the term positive means to add. Listen, there are so many things out there that can be multilinguistic that people can look at and say, well, that has several different meanings. Yeah. For argument's sake, Sam Montany has a shirt that he likes to wear that says, bitches love a cock in their mouth. <laughs> and it is a picture of a dog with a pheasant in its mouth. Yeah. Now, in I'm not trying to be funny or dirty or anything like that, but that shirt can be implied two ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's now, the pun. That's the pun. That's the funny thing about it. So if you went to a rooster show and they had best looking cock, it's <laughs> it's about a bird. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I mean, I laugh about things like that all the time. Yeah. But the reality is, is that you can interpret that many different ways. Yeah, like if you right. went on Pornhub, that would mean something entirely different. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, when you're talking about birds, that's the correct term to use. Yeah. So, the fact is, although I'm making a bit of light of it, being a bit smarty about it, the reality is, yes, there are multiple ways to look at it. And yes, you could, if you were being scientific, you could interpret a different way. And yes, people in the general public could look at that term and think, oh, you must be a positive trainer because you've mentioned the word positive yeah. in your description of what you're of what you're implying. But in the implied sense, it doesn't say positive only. It says positive first, mm. which also means that, like many things, that you'd need to describe to people what you're actually doing. Mm. And people have said, well, why don't you just do that? Why don't you describe what you're doing? Well, advertising companies have been doing that for years. They have a slogan. 
and then they explain more about the product when you unpack it and look deeper into it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Nike, for example, everyone knows that they're shoes or apparel and then after a period of time, they'll tell you about their amazing shoe or about their apparel. Mm. But it doesn't say uh, this is a sweatshirt that you can wear on your body that wicks away sweat because we've got a specially patent material, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Okay. It does when you unpack it further, but when you're when you're looking at the, the product, it says Nike. Mm. Okay. So, that's the lead. That's the header. And that's all positive first is supposed to be. It, it's supposed to be a header that describes... I think it gives a better description for trainers that rather than just pull a dog out of the kennel and start correcting it, I'm not suggesting trainers do that. There are some. No, but there are. There, there are, are people that do that and will call themselves balanced Correct. trainers. Correct. And that's the problem with the whole balanced trainer. And there's people who are famous on social media that are just fucking terrible calling themselves balanced trainers and are seen as the voice of our team mm. if, we're, if we have a team. Yeah. The social media thing is is a complex web of deceit. Mm. The problem is, is with that, what people are showing is the best of something that fucked up like a hundred times and that it might have gone well one time and that's all you're seeing about that trainer. And that is the difficult thing is that people only – it's like filters on Instagram that people constantly use all the time. Yeah. Like they, you know, they think to themselves, well, I'm not – attractive enough to be seen just as a photo of myself. I need to put some plastic looking filter on my face and have my eyes looking pretty and blah, blah, blah. If that's what people want to do, that's fine. But it's not reality. Mm. And it's not reality a lot of times when we see edited clips on YouTube or Facebook or anything like that, that are the result of 60 attempts where one went right. Yeah. But I'm talking about people who are just happy with what what you and I would go like, oh my God, I can't, first of all, I can't believe you did that. And second of all, I can't believe you're putting it on social media. Like people just using an e-collar at like such high level, not editing out and getting the good stuff, Mm. just putting up the terrible stuff and thinking that it's good. And so this is the issue, like there's- And we're labeled with them. Yeah. And I'm not going to name anybody because I don't want them running off. I don't want to send any more people to check them out. But there are people, there's people in Australia that do that. There's people in America that do that, that are- uh, Shit. Yeah, terrible trainers mm. who are really not dog trainers. They're charlatans and showmen yep. that have chosen dog training as their way to make money. Yep. And yes, they get results because they can flatten a dog out in 10 seconds. Mm. And I can do that. You can do that. My three-year-old son can do that by pushing a button. But that's not good dog training. But the issue with any is those people, because they're very loud and have a large social media presence, get to call themselves balanced trainers yeah. and- are then seen as a voice for us. Mm. The guy who does 100 takes and only posts one, he's the least of my concerns compared to that guy that does like Facebook Live, he's me beating up on a dog. Yep. You know what I mean? That's the problem. The guy that-, that That's right. Yeah, I agree. That is more the concern. And therein lies the reason why I was looking for a descriptive term that better describes the people who are more artistic in what they're doing in their training practices mm-hmm. rather than that person that you just recommended. Yeah. That really is a redundant way of doing training. It's a way that we learned to do training back in the early days, which was the yank and crank. Mm. And shamefully, I have to say that I was part of that program because that's we only knew what we knew back then. Well, and there's no denying that, especially if you've got a dog that is too much, it works. It's not the best way to do it, but you can put some inhibitions into behaviors for sure. Corrections definitely work. Yeah. If you make I mean, a there's dog, no if, denying that effective punishment is an effective strategy yeah. in controlling behavior. But 
also like from a bad training point of view, if you've got a dog that gets on the couch and jumps on people and you go, well, okay, no worries. We'll just make him afraid to do anything. And now all he does is stay on his bed because he's terrified of everything that else he's going to do. The lay person who doesn't see the training then can look at that dog and go, Jesus, you've done a good job training that dog. But anybody that watches the training or anybody that can read the state of the dog is then like, mate, you just fucking crushed that dog. That's all you've done. Yep. You've made him afraid to do anything. He's now scared to make any decisions mm. rather than knows which is the right decision to do or finds value in the right decision. Yeah, that's right. That's the problem. They're the people that we are poisoned by. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why a lot of people that have come to me and said, you know, I love the term, I want to use it because they want to get away from those people. Yeah, they want exactly. to they want to be removed from that stigma of I'm a person that kicks the shit out of my dog because automatically the positive only fraternity will look at that and they say, well, there you go. That's, that's exactly what the balance training fraternity sponsor and recognize is beating up on dogs. Mm. I've stipulated this before, I'm sure you have, is that if you go looking for ugly on the internet, you'll find it in no time at all. Yeah. Any time that you're looking for things, like every single time, People put up an argument. I mean, I can find an ugly counter-argument to their ugly argument where people are saying that prong collars and this and that do X, Y, and Z. Well, I can show you that on a harness. I can show you that yeah. on a flat collar. I can show you that on a, on a martingale. I can show you that on any single device. The reality is if you're owning animals, if you possess an animal, and this is why organizations such as PETA, People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, they have it in their mandate where they don't want us to own any animals whatsoever. Mm. And if they have their wish, that will be the way it is, mm. is that fuck you if you're positive or balanced or whatever. We don't want you to have animals full stop. Mm. So if these people ever get into government, guess what? You won't have a pet. You won't have to worry about any of it because you won't be able to own animals. Mm. They will systematically shut down livestock trade. They will shut down pet ownership, everything, mm. and basically – you'll have to go to a wild plain zoo or something like that. You probably wouldn't even be able to have a wild plain zoo. Mm. But that won't stop shitty human behaviour. And that's the problem. No, is, that's right. Is that- that no, no matter what controls you put in place. I mean, we've got laws. We've got things that have been in place for, for a, a millennium. And people still do the wrong thing. Mm. You know, like there's such restrictive, even in other countries where there's threats of being caned or hung or shot or drawn and quartered or whatever is going to happen, people still do the things that they shouldn't do. Mm. There is greed. There's all forms of motivation that will encourage people to do that. Anyway, we're getting a little bit away from what we're talking about. But the reality of what we're talking about is I think it's refreshing for our community to be a little bit better described or a little bit better represented so we can actually have a look at it and say, we're not the people that just go out there, pull a dog out of a kennel and start correcting the dog. Mm. We actually look at it like we want to add value to the training that we're doing with this dog. We actually want to get the dog out and assess the dog properly. But while doing that, why not make it a positive experience for the dog? Yeah. And this is one thing that we do when we're doing here with the kennel work, when dogs are doing their board and train or anything like that, is the first session that dog ever has is coming out and having a walk around and doing clicker acquisition with the dog or marker acquisition with the dog 
or just teaching the dog just to walk around and, and when it returns to you, come and take some food from you. Mm. So you are effectively the partner with the dog. You're the good guy, the person that the dog can depend on and realize, hey, you're you're my partner in this. You're my coach. If you look at, he's a very famous coach that's been quoted so many times. Um, I'm trying to think of him in American football. I don't uh, know. Oh, I can't believe I've forgotten this guy's name. I can't remember. There is a coach in American football that's been quoted all over the world and his name eludes me right now. It'll probably come to me while I'm talking about it. Mm. However, he was proclaimed as a super coach in American football and American sports. Mm -hmm. Effectively, what he did was instead of abusing his team and, and making his team feel like shit before they went out and just putting trying to put fire under their belly what he did was he inspired them mm-hmm. and he made them believe in themselves and he made them believe in the culture of the team and there's a very good book that i know brent gave dave brent dry gave to dave and it's mm-hmm. about the um culture of the all blacks the rugby team over there and very much that same sort of thing it's about the culture of the team and they've got a rule for example in their team called the no dickheads rule and basically you are all about the team. You go in there and you clean together and you work together and everybody supports each other. It's a network of coordination and cooperation and collaboration between everybody. Somebody asked me a while back and they said, if you were to die, what sort of legacy do you want to leave behind? The legacy that I want to leave right now is that instead of being petty and jealous and destructive, what I wanted to do in the dog industry is try and bring everyone closer together. Mm-hmm. Stop the fighting and stop all the bickering. And that was the motivation behind putting the Balance Symposium together because I was reading on forums just ridiculous things and people being attacked all the time. I thought, we've got nowhere to go. We've, we've got no sanctuary. It's the same thing when I was thinking about the whole Balance Trainer argument. We're labelled and criticised as being exactly what you opened with when people are just being outrageous in their training practices Mm. and every time people look at it now they look at it and say there you are i can see what your fraternity imposes or enforces or encourage or puts out there and that's not what we are we've evolved beyond that i was that at one stage in training i was that person but i've learned so much better now and i've had so many more different mentors in training and look to be honest i can thank some of the positive only people the non-crazy ones um, that are out there. I love it how you have to stipulate that. Well, they've just they tip so far over the edge, and they do in the balance world as well. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing is that you've got extremists on both sides that tip right over the edge. Yeah, that's the issue, and the issue, the problem is that they're the ones that seem to get the most airplay. People like me and you, who are actual what you would call like a really truly balanced trainer, mm. right? You're boring and so centerline that you, there is nothing sensational to do. So sensationalism sells. So the the extremist positive only let's say right, that's just total crazy batshit crazy end of the spectrum, <laughs> right? That gets a lot of that's worth watching because it's entertainment. We like to watch the madness. Mm. And then you look at the other end of the spectrum and of the, the guy we're talking about earlier, the yank and crank guy, and that's entertaining as well for, for a totally different reason, but that's what people want to pay attention to. Mm. When you're like, hey, here's, here's how I'm going to charge this clicker and this is how I'm going to you know put a really appetitive response to this this behavior and now I'm going to put a, I'm going to introduce a tiny little bit of struggle, but he's going to overcome that and now I'm going to use that 
I'm going to be able to use that struggle later to make the behavior stronger. And then if one day he doesn't want to do the behavior, I'm going to be able to compel him into it with that struggle. That's boring. Like to dog trainers, that's like, oh, how are you going to do that? But to the average person, that's not entertaining. Mm. And that is not a show that anybody's going to watch. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's all about the show, isn't it? Yeah. There's a Turkish saying that says the squealing child gets the nipple. Yeah. And it's one of the terms that we're probably more familiar with is the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Mm. And people- But I like your titty version. You do? Yeah. Yeah, You would. we'll carry on with that. (laughs) But the problem is, is there's clever people out there who understand that phrase well, which is why they go out there and they're all show and no go. Yeah. Let, Let me tell you a story. Of course. You know, a little while ago, I was doing that heart rate monitor. Oh, yeah, the one from Joe Rogan? Yeah, so yeah. me and a friend of mine were in this MEP challenge, right? MEPs are these my zone effort points. You get these points for heart rate points. Anyway, I had a client cancel, so no, they were late. They pushed back, and so I was like, well, man, I can get me some MEPs. So I, they, uh, I just drove around until I found a park, had a hill, so I start running hill sprints up and down this park. So... These, it's a dog park or there's an, it's an off-leash area and there's various dogs coming around and suddenly from sort of out of nowhere, this Dutch shepherd turns up and I'm running, running hills with this Dutchie. He's like biting me in the ass and he's about 18 months old and really exuberant kind of dog. And when the people turn up, I'm thinking they're going to know stuff about dogs. This is going to be a conversation I can get out of working out and I can talk to these people about dogs. And I'm like, hey, where'd you get the Dutchie? And they're like, the what? Uh, <laughs> he's a Kelpie. And I was like, oh, okay. Where'd you get this Kelpie? And like, oh, from Liverpool Pound. Anyway, so we're talking and I was like, yeah, this is a Dutch Shepherd. This is a, this is not a Kelpie. Mm. Uh, it's like, it could be a, a mix. To be honest, I, I could, made some pretty wild guesses about the bloodline, which would be very interesting. I could tell you about it another time. But anyway, so me and this Dutchie, it pays off these people because I'm sort of playing rough with it as it, we're running up this hill. It's chasing me up and down the hill, trying to bite me in the ass and all kinds of stuff. And I was like, you know, you've got a pretty nice dog here. Like this is, how long have they had? They've only had it a few months and- mm got a really nice dog. And they're like, oh, cool. And I said, you know, I know a thing or two about these kind of dogs. And she's like, oh, cool. Because we've got these issues with whenever there's, there were no other dogs around at the time. Whenever there's a dog around, if he wants the stick or something, he'll like stand over the other dog. And if the other dog doesn't give up, then there'll be a fight. And I was like, yeah, okay. I was like, do you play tug with the dog? And she's like, no, no, I've never played that. And I was like, well, this dog, this particular dog, he's going to live for tug. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you just play tug, I was going to say get a tug, but then I thought just get a bit of rope, you know, just keep it simple for these people. They think they've got a Kelpie. Yep. I was like, just play with him, like play sort of tug games with him. And that's going to open up a whole new world of what we call engagement for you and this dog. Because the dog is already my dog. They've like, it, the way this was, it was actually football oval. Her, this woman and her daughter are doing laps around the oval and I'm running the hill at the end and the dog, they kept walking and the, they did three laps and the dog was running hill sprints with me. I was like, if you learn how to play with this dog, play tug, because he's going to live to play tug, you'll be able to train him in a lot of different cool ways. And she's like, oh, okay, but how do I how do I stop this standing over the other dog? And I was like, well, you would then teach him that the game is available on your command. And when you see that he's going to stand over another dog like that, you just produce your tug and call him, call him back and then play that game and re- leave the area. Because I don't want to – I'm doing hill sprints, right? This is not – that's not the best – that's not exactly what I would say to a client, but for some free advice in the park, I'm pretty happy to hand that out, right? And she goes, oh, okay, I don't really want to do that. I just want him to stop uh, still, like standing over and potentially fighting another dog. And I was like, okay, well, if you don't want to train him 
to come back or some sort of alternate behavior, then you, you're left with punishment. You have to stop him then doing that. She goes, no, I only want to use positive techniques. And I burst out laughing, <laughs> right? And, and she's like, looks at me like I'm a fucking asshole. And I'm like, I just told you the positive technique. And she goes, no, I don't want to play those games and I don't want to teach him other stuff. I'm not into training. I just want him to stop being aggressive to other dogs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, I understand that. Then in order to do that, you must punish him for doing that, right? But then you're not in control of what else he might do. So I would not recommend that, but you should teach hang him on, the Hang game. on, Didn't she say she wanted to use positive? She only wanted to use positive techniques. And then she right. says to me again, she says, yes, but positive training is better. I, that's what I've learned from like on TV and the videos I've been watching. And I said to her, I agree, but you have just told me you don't want to do that. She goes, yes, I want to use the positive training to stop him doing the thing that he's doing. And I said, this is the Dutch Shepherd, right? This is- At that stage, I would have said, good day, my lady, and just kept running. I said to her, he likes to possess. And so he likes to possess (laughs) more than most dogs. And Mm. if he finds one that has a a level of possession similar to him, then there's going to be a fight. There's most times there's not because most of the dogs around here are pussies and give up what they want, what he wants. Mm. Right. Uh, And I was like, you've actually got a very nice dog. I can't believe you got this from the pound, right? This is, from what I'm seeing here, this is a very nice dog. And then basically I did exactly what you said. I was like, oh, my heart rate's too low. I have to to run. And I took off. But it was a perfect example of someone that has been poisoned by the positive only. Mantra. Yeah. Right. Mm. And that she's right. Using positive is the way to go. And Mm. I told like. It it is. And in line, it's for me, that story fits your positive first mm. because that's ex- when she said to me this is the issue i've got with my dog my first go-to was like oh i know how to fix that immediately you just need your dog to be able to listen to you and come back this dog is desperate to play some he's desperate to use his mouth he wants to bite he's biting me in the ass as i'm running hill sprints right yeah he's desperate to to bite something just do that and then you'll have amazing control over this dog and that was no i don't want to do that i just want him to stop and then when you when that's all you want, I'm like, well, you, there's only within the literature in the science to just have something stop and not do anything. You don't want an intentional other thing to happen. You just want one thing to stop. That's the best use of punishment. Yep. That's exactly where that comes in. Mm. And if she were my client, I wouldn't do that. That that wouldn't I, I wouldn't be my go to. Like if they were paying me, if they were like, okay, give us your card and come back, I'd be like, well, we are training the dog to come back. If he chooses not to, we'll use some pressure to force him to come back. But we're still then not using punishment. We're using negative reinforcement to come back. And so what would look the same is different. But she was like, no, I want to stop him doing something via positive techniques. And that is impossible. You can make something else happen, but you can't stop him standing over other dogs using positive techniques. That is scientifically impossible. There's loads of training that we can do. There's loads of ways we can use positive reinforcement, 100%, right? I think that I would get very close to training that duchy because he was how desperately he wanted to play. And he wasn't like a super strong dog, right? Mm-hmm. He would give up on the idea of possessing things from other dogs, provided they, you could continue to produce something that he would want. It would be positive, mm-hmm. but it required the training. But she was convinced because she knows nothing about dogs and she just like... I'm painting her as an asshole, but she was just a confused person who didn't know. Yeah, she's not an asshole. She's she's been educated under a umbrella system that is incorrect, fucking confusing. It well, it's it's impossible. Yeah. It, it's not just she was more than 
the, the worst part about it was she wasn't confused. And do you know she why it's impossible? Because they give you half the access to motivation. Yeah. That's the problem that they give you. Yeah. Is they, they basically sliced up the quadrant and said, here's half of it. Forget about the other half of it yeah. because we don't believe in it. Yeah. It's become a religion, not science. But as I say, I was showing her, you want to use positive. This is the positive. Yeah. This is the path. Mm. You can only teach with positive. You can't stop with positive. You can, yeah. you can teach something new, something stronger. Yeah. And with this dog, it was going to be the perfect example. And that's when I was just like, oh, man, I'm so glad I'm not wearing a company T-shirt. Like I can just... We just go, you can well, just run away I'm just a guy that knows a little bit about dogs. See you yeah. later and keep running the hills. Mm. And, you know, what can you do? Like, but this is, this is, and just my example, that's just my story about how she's been sold a lie about dog training that is going to get her and that dog into trouble. Mm. I know. I look at people and they argue vehemently at me that it's a system that they believe is fair and just. And I ask them for further explanation and they can't give it to you. Mm. They just tell you it is what it is. And I'll say, but explain that further to me, like break it down. Give me the actual science behind it. And they'll, they'll just keep going, yeah, but it's science. And I go, who's science? Like what scientist actually came out and published actual factual documentation on that? Yeah. And I said, is it an ideology? Is it a philosophy? Is it a fact? Is it science? Like show me where it is. And they keep going, well, it's science, but where is the science? Mm. The other point that somebody said to me on the whole positive first aspect was, where do you align yourself with the principle of LEMA, the acronym mm -hmm. of LEMA, which is least invasive, minimally aversive, which I'm a massive fan of. And the reality is with LEMA is that with LEMA, least invasive, minimally aversive, is that you can go straight to punishment. Okay. Mm -hmm. It means least invasive means that you can still punish straight away. Mm -hmm. Which is fine. I mean, if you need to, you need to. The principle that I'm starting with with positive first is I'm going to try positive first. And if it doesn't work, I have to look at alternate methods of training that dog. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, as I said to somebody the other day who asked that question, positive first and Lima are on parallels with each other. Mm. They're so close to each other, it's not funny. It's just that rather than say, well, you rather than use least invasive, minimally aversive, which means I can use punishment first. All right. It authorizes you in the um, notation of it. Mm -hmm. Whereas positive first means try something positive first. Mm -hmm. At least try something positive first. And I mean, most good Lima trainers would do the same thing anyway. They would still try and do something positive first. I guess that's the opening line which I'm saying to people is don't just go to the notebook and think the first thing I'm going to do is because I've got a tool on the dog is that I'm automatically going to yank the dog mm. or I'm just going to make this a terrible experience first. It, there's even times when we've got dogs here in the kennels and rather than make their first experience with us a negative one where we're just snaring them by a slip lead or something like that, what we want to do is try and make the dog more comfortable about coming over. You could even uh, you could argue that being in the kennel with the dog is a negative experience and I can't deny that, that for some dogs that it will be the case. Mm. So you might say, well, I'm trying to start with positive first, but... The reality is, is it's not for the dog. You know, it's not a, it's your initial experience with the dog isn't, isn't a positive first experience. So we can, we can really break it down to finite principles or increments and look at it under that aspect. And the reality is, is there's probably some fair argument to that. Mm. But 
What I'm talking about more, I guess, where I'm trying to draw the line is the deliberation of what you're doing as a trainer in your approach to training is not just grabbing the dog and making that first experience a terrible one. Mm. Introducing a muzzle. Well, we could we could make that a positive first experience for the dog. Mm. We could make that all about a shaping behavior where the dog wants to volunteer its face into the muzzle. Okay? Because after a period of time, you're going to have to do up that muzzle, which is going to be slightly negative for the dog. Okay? It's the first time that the muzzle has ever closed around the dogs and the dog is going to feel some form of aversion around that whether you like it or not and you'll say but that wasn't my intention however again it's dictated by the dog you might say well i don't believe that my dog feels that way but you're still interpreting for the dog Mm. you're still saying well i'm doing the thinking for the dog here but in matter of fact you're not you're thinking your thoughts, the dog is still thinking its thoughts. So at some stage, aversion is still going to happen in any form of training that you're doing. Mm. Not your intention, not the, not what you intended to do, not what you set out to do, not what your construction was in your training platform, but the reality is, is the dog will still think what it thinks. Mm. I know I'm drawing straws on that and making that sound much more difficult than what it really is, but again, my old favourite go-to It's not what you think and feel. It's what the dog thinks and feels. Mm. So the reality is if we can try and get the dog to think about a positive first approach to training, a positive first introduction to the trainer, a positive first introduction to the handler, a positive first introduction to humanity, what the hell is wrong with that? Mm. What's the problem with it? Yeah. You know, I was just thinking then as you're talking that I'm sort of obsessed at the moment with markers and how to charge them. Mm. And even the act of doing that, is your positive first ticked. Just charging the marker. Acquisition order, is is a positive first approach, yeah. yeah. In order to begin training, then you'd tick the box positive first. Yeah. It's a tricky one because it, hmm. we're just talking labels and it's not going to change the way you or I train. It, it's not it going to change not. the way anybody trains. It's just, it is a label. It's a descript. That's yeah. what it is. It's but descriptive. For selling, if you are a balanced trainer along the way that we are, a truly balanced trainer, it probably is a good way to pitch yourself as positive first. I don't see anything wrong with it. The more I look at it, the more I'm enjoying the the, the phrase. I've tried a few different things over the years, like as people call and say, because I get, you know, I get referrals from a lot of, you know, I get referrals from some vets that are, I'm often kind of the last chance guy where people are in there sort of discussing euthanasia. That's and disappointing, say, isn't it, that you're the last chance guy? Well, it, I, well, it's good that the vets do that. It's good that they, like, people go to the vet in order to have their dog euthanized. It's, and it's they good say, and bad. It's a, it's a bit of an oxymoron. Yeah. Well, and it's very annoying to be that and not be involved earlier. But so I get, I, I have had many, many referrals over the time in training dogs from the vet who people have gone in to have their dog uh, euthanized for behavioral reasons. Mm. And they say, well, before you do that, you should have a consult with this guy because he's likely to be able to get results for you. And in a lot of, well, in, all, in every case, so, uh, no, bar one, uh, in every case, other, every case bar one I have. And I was on the path that, and this is actually, remind me to talk this story as well after I do this one. So I get a lot of questions from people because more often than not, those people who are on the path to euthanasia have had a trainer beforehand because very few people just go straight to that point. Mm. But they've been positive or force-free trainers. And so I get the interrogation over the phone and I've tried a few different things. I've tried calling myself a balanced trainer. The most effect I've had is when people say, when people ask directly, 
are you a force-free trainer? I say none and I kind of laugh and I say, no, I'm a real dog trainer. Like I, I actually can train dogs to do stuff. I don't, which is offensive, but in that moment, I'm trying to- It's inflammatory them, really yeah, when but, you say things like that because- But in that moment, these are people who are probably going to, who have been told already that they should put their dog down by someone. Yep. And I'm trying, I'm not trying to degrade the person- because there's some amazing force-free trainers. I'm not trying to say that there are. Not. There are there are there are some fantastic trainers in all fields. Yeah. In that moment, I'm mm. trying to give them some hope that that I can help their dog. Because yep. chances are I can. So yeah, I've tried lots of different things. I've tried balance trainers, calling myself a real dog trainer. I've called myself a lemur trainer, which mostly just confuses people. It is confusing as hell. Yeah. And and, and that really warrants a description when like when people have said to me well you, you know shouldn't you have to explain it when you say lemur to anybody even people who are reasonably um how can i say this without sounding offensive when you explain it to people who have a bit of a grasp on training terminology mm-hmm. even then lemur has to be broken down for them and explained in some detail yeah Whereas positive- well, using an acronym is like that. When in when you're using an acronym colloquially, it doesn't work because industry people understand it, but the average person doesn't. So when you say to someone over the phone who's got a problem dog, and you say I'm a lemur trainer, and they go because a lot of people, What's that? well, no, a lot of people go, uh huh, mm, yes, and and don't want to say what is that. Right? That's right. So they have to pretend that they understand what it is, and when they don't, and then they're googling. <laughs> like, uh, did he say llama trainer? And then like, no, I don't train llamas. I train alpacas. They're totally different. How many people do you know on a day-to-day basis that know what aversive and appetitive mean? Yeah, not many. That's right. Yeah, not at all. Industry people do. People yeah. that have been raised in terminology do. And even when I'm doing the NDTF training, we use terminology strongly. I try not to make this podcast about strong terminology all the time because, yes, trainers will listen to it, but there'll be a lot of dog handlers and people that are just – in it for interested they're in it for interest sake that will be thinking the same thing i mean it's almost offensive to people when you constantly speak above them when you try and use vernacular that is so intensified that people just don't understand what it is anymore Mm. and then you'll lose them you pretty much lost them from the beginning because they just don't understand what it means anymore yeah so let me tell that story i just talked about I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but it's a good example of of Lima and fucking it up. All yep. right. So I had these guys, they had a um a Sharpe that they got from Sydney Cats and Dogs Home. It was a it was fine when they got it. They used to go to dog parks and all kinds of stuff and it was totally social, everything was fine, but it had progressively become quite dog aggressive. Over a period of uh, probably months. It had just had like a little incident and then another one, another one now to the point where it, it, as soon as it saw another dog, it was hyper reactive trying to get to it. And because it had been fine in the past, I know that this isn't, uh, and, and the way that they explained it to me, like, this is not just a dog aggressive dog. This is a dog that maybe had some, uh, environmental issues or some, uh, some fear related issues, turned off pressure by being aggressive and it's just, it's escalated over the time. That's the story they told me anyway, that it, it had started out as a growl and now it's a full blown attack on every dog, but it had been every step in between. Yep. So I know that this can be undone for hundred percent. This can be undone. Right. So I reading the, the client is a hundred percent my fault reading the client. I thought, well, let's take the slow approach. Right. 
So we do a lot of time we're using a slip lead and we're using a slip lead for pressure and, and got them to load a clicker and we're showing like, you know, he can't get to other dogs. We first teach him to turn around. He's like escape the pressure, come back from other dogs, seek the reinforcer. Every time he sees another dog click, like all these sort of things are done, but the, the, and we we're slowly making progress very slowly. And it was definitely in work, but it was taking a long while and I was trying and it was a problem of it was a fault of mine by uh i reckon this could have been a two session fix because it wasn't a real problem it was a built problem in the dog and if we'd just gone to a prong collar like a proper like actual punishment in that stage this Mm. is like the proper use of the word positive punishment i think would have extinguished that behavior pretty quickly because it wasn't like the dog was really super aggressive it was displaying a lot of aggression but i don't think he was very like you know you know what i mean i I do yeah Anyway, uh, all show and no go. Yeah, mm. because what happened? And the reason I know that was one day when we were working, everything was. And that's in when place. you do want to flatten out the behaviour. Yeah, that's right. Everything mm. was kind of in place, and I was using. They were getting much better, and I was using Val. I was handling the dog, and I had her in a down, and I was walking the dog past past her. And then it, it we just got. I brought it above threshold, and it, it went really crazy at her. It was on leash. And she, all she did, that tough little bitch, was show it one tooth. She just lifted what, lifted her lip, showed it one tooth, and it fucking backed down. Yep. Right. So I was like, "It's a pussy. It's just showing." Like it soon, like my Springer Spaniel, who's off leash in a down, just backed it off. Mm. Right. It's not a hard dog. This is we're gonna be able to fix this. Right. I hope we don't lose our Dutch audience here, but it's what's termed as Dutch courage. Yeah. 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 And again, I have to stipulate as a caveat, I'm half Dutch. So I'm I'm not saying that against my Dutch brothers and sisters. So I had to go overseas. I was going overseas for two weeks. They had, while I was gone, something happened. They took the dog back to Sydney Cats and Dogs Home. It was euthanized. Yeah. And so that one's wow. on me. Yeah. Because to look at, it was a really very aggressive dog. And how can you rehome this dog? It was, mm. it, it had attacked other dogs in the park. That's how I got called. Yep. It was- Not, not it, your dog park. No, different one. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, different one. And it was a, it looked bad, but I knew it wasn't that mm. as bad. And I could have definitely fixed that quicker. Well, I, I didn't get to fix it. I'd gone for the slow and steady yep. relationship and the leash and all of those things. But really, and that would have been the best path if they had stuck with it. But that was a misreading of mine by just going, I didn't realize they weren't going to stick with it or they couldn't. Yeah. But they, they just needed a fast track extinction process. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's where like Lima, I needed to be more invasive and more aversive yeah. in that case because they gave up. They took the dog back. It, it, it by all accounts looked like, I think what happened was while I was overseas, they had, there was an incident, an incident, something happened and they yep. knew I was gone for two weeks and they were like, well, this, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. For yep. them, it was their layered stress model. Yep. And so it's one of those things like this could have just been an easy, like prong collar on, hey, you're not allowed to do that. And in one or two sessions, the dog, I think, would have understood that rather than the several weeks of trying to undo it. Mm. And so that's a case of like- we still, I still would have been positive first. We still would have charged the marker and everything first. And we would have been able to show the dog, yes, you're on the right track. And in order to show him he's on the right track, we need to establish that common language first. So it would still be positive first, but then I would go, here's your trigger. I really should have done it that day. The day that Val backed him off by just lifting and showing him one of her one tooth and he crumbled, I should have then gone, okay, let's just extinguish this because it's not real. It's, it's going to go quickly. 
I should have done it then. Yep. Rather than going, okay, well, we take the slow. Well, it's real. It's real. It's there, but it's not as intense as what. Yes. What it, he what he flags. Yeah. So that's an issue of Lima. I think undoing me a little bit. You know what I mean? I was mm. trying to be least invasive milliversive, and I was too little. Yep. And and it got the dog killed. Mm. It's really it, that's I, I'm I'm sure I've spoken about that on the podcast before. I, I don't remember that story. You probably weren't listening to me, a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know I've definitely spoken about it because it it sort of weighs on me a little bit. You know mm. what I mean? And I think about that all the time now. In that, yeah, I, they I, always do those ones. Get you yeah, because it could have been a fix. And there was nothing – like the dog was quite a nice little dog. And, and in their house, he was great. He would mm. fit in perfectly. He was, a you know, fit everything in their life except that he was really dog aggressive and to the point where, you know, he couldn't walk down the street because if he saw another dog, he'd go crazy at the dog and people would cross the street. And if you've got a dog for lifestyle, then that's not the dog for you. And it wasn't – the owners, it wasn't their intention to euthanize a dog. They just – it was still under the period where they could take it back to the rescue, you know. And so they did and yep. said, look, he's not fitting in. And then the rescue were like, you know, he had left not dog aggressive and had come back dog aggressive. They they probably have, you know, no choice but to euthanize at that point. I think the reality of the world, especially in the training world, is that we're not going to save them all no matter how much we try. No, of course. And yeah. that's and I don't want to say that as a defeatist sort of attitude that you shouldn't try because you absolutely should. And I think it was one of the first great sadnesses that I ever felt when I started training dogs was my attitude was, I'm going to save them all. And I've probably mentioned this before. I know I've mentioned it in most training groups I've done is that was my immediate mantra. I'm going to mm. save all the dogs, all of them, every single one that comes to me. And that when the reality sunk in that people are non-responsive sometimes, people are lazy, people don't understand it, people aren't as motivated as what you are, people are busy, people have got distractions, people have got shit going on in their life that we know nothing about, mm. all of those type of things will impact where you're actually going to go with your training, with your training progress. I think, yeah, that was the, th uh, that was the first thing that really sort of kicked me in the guts early in the piece because um, I was so gun-ho about it at the time and so pushy and so demanding that people do it. And I could just see them. I, I saw this look in people's eyes going, yeah, that's not what I'm going to do. And you kind of think to yourself, well, but why? Mm. Why won't you do it? You know, like, why won't you you keep this up? But, I mean, to, to some people, they don't love dogs the same way we do. Yeah. That's a part of the sad reality of, of the pet world is that some people, they like the idea of having a dog until it becomes a nuisance. And then when it becomes a nuisance, they're just thinking, how the fuck do I get myself out of this situation? Well, man, that's the heartbreak in the whole thing. And that's why the people that, I love this term that Jay uses, that pe people that just turn the dog into a dog skin rug that apologizes a lot. Yeah. The thing is, that's what most people want in a pet. And that's the fucking heartbreak of the whole thing when you see these people just flattening dogs out mm. and killing it, yeah, like making fucking bank and have people lined up around the block to get their dogs squashed by them. Yeah, it's a heartbreak because yeah. the killer is they are giving people what they want. Yeah, that's they're the they're, thing. A, they're a machine. They're not an artist. Yeah, and that's what they are. Is that they all they are is just a, it's a Mickey Mouse machine. It's just an Acme machine, just cranking product out the other end they mm. they don't have or feel any art or love of it it's simply it got the attention that they wanted 
And it's so they've generated a lot of attention to themselves that way and they've made a lot of money out of it. I think one stage that they probably did love it, but then they realize that it feeds their ego and their wallet. So it becomes that becomes more important to them. Mm. You know, look, you can't determine the motivations of where people go with things. Ego is a very monstrous and destructive thing. Having had my own fair share of it in the past and maybe still in the present where you get overwhelmed by your desire to be needed and loved by other people and the attraction it gets you sometimes, it's, I don't know, it spirals out of control. Mm. The other thing that I did want to talk about while we were on this is I think on the term positive first, I think some people in the industry won't use it because, number one, they don't like me and they don't want to credit me for it. And fuck you. And fuck me. So... (laughs) I mean, fair enough. If that's the case, if they don't want to do that, again, don't use it. I'm mm. not. It's not a pressure point where people have to feel that they have to use it. As I said, it's it's not like I'm gifting it to you and you have to use it now and it's the new industry label. It's just something that if somebody else used it, I would be or came up with it before I did. I'd be thinking to myself, I actually like that term. Mm. Uh, I, I think it's applicable in in many different situations. And, I mean, I didn't come up with balanced. I didn't come up with Lima. And I've enjoyed those terms to some degree. But I see the problem in all of them. The people that have raised the issues with positive first, saying that it's too closely mirroring positive only, and the confusion that can create around it. Well, I mean, people are confused at the best of times. Mm. There's so many things that people can be but selective, th- conf- selectively confused about. I think that that's kind of the beauty of it. Because if you're saying... If someone, the only reason you're going to be saying you're positive first is if someone's asking. And if you are a really good balanced trainer and someone is saying, what methods do you use? And you say, well, I'm positive first. And you get the gig because of it, because they're thinking, well, I'm only interested in using positive training. And then you demonstrate to them along the way, like, hey, this is the positive side. And now this is where we layer in a bit of reinforcement, like negative reinforcement or whatever. This is how we do it. Then that's up to you now to show your skill. Yeah. But it is trickery to compete with the marketing. I think that there's no need to deny that or pretend that's not the case because all you- As long as you're not deceptive. No, that's right. And I think that's where people have flagged the issue is the deception that could be construed around it because that could be an issue. Yeah. And and that's certainly something that all, all trainers or anybody considering using positive first is that you don't use the deception mm. of hiding behind the label and then tricking people into thinking it was all about being a positive only trainer when you didn't intend to do that from the get-go. I think you need to be very mindful and cautious about that fact and, and make sure that in your description and in your fine print is that you do notify people that you will be using but a that's, balanced form of training or that you tra- will be referring to the quadrant. Yeah, especially though if you're training someone else's dog in front of them, like you you have your marketing to get you through the door to get the job and mm. then it's up to your skill to allow to show them your cave skill and capability that you're able to use the various techniques to get the job done in a safe, happy, ethical manner. I think that's a strength in it. I, mm. I, I truly think that's yeah. a strength in it. Rather than we should say, well, we should admit that it's it's clo- it sounds close to positive only because that's the point. <laughs> that's that's the point. Well, I've also done a little bit of thinking about it because people have said, you know, it's unscientific and it doesn't summarize what we're we're really trying to do. What should we call ourselves? Motivation first, mm. because primarily if we're saying well we can't call ourselves positive first. Should we just say we're motivation first? 
because punishment and reinforcement all come from a place of motivation. Well, you know, talking about that's one of the ones that I've had a lot of success with is when people say, what kind of trainer are you? Say, oh, I just use motivation. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a motivational, motivational trainer. trainer. Yeah. Mm. That one, because you can't argue that, that is scientifically accurate. It is. But it, it doesn't. It resonate. doesn't inspire people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, no matter what you use, there's still some trickery to it. That It's all, it's, it's marketing. It we're, is. We're, it's a label. Yeah. Yeah. We're dog trainers, not marketers. Well, we have to market ourselves. Otherwise, you won't get business. You that's the eat. problem. You yeah, that's, yeah. That's what we're. That's where we're going. Look, for everybody, this is a hustle. <laughs> I mean, you are, or you've got a hustle. You know, oh. everybody's got to do it. Everybody's competing. Everybody's. Everybody is hunting the same field. You know, we're all looking for access to put food on our table. Everybody is trying to take a slice of that market. I mean, you and I are great friends, but in some ways, we're still competitors with each mm-hmm. other and healthy competitors. You know, I mean, we're in different fields. You do, you have a style and a selection of training that you want to do. I share in your philosophies, but I also have my own way of doing things. Mm-hmm. We do board and train here. You don't do board and train. You mm-hmm. do a lot of problem solving and a lot of motivational style NAPOPO training with your, your system. I, I'm still a student of NAPOPO myself. I've done the course. I believe in it. But we're all hustling for a little piece of that pie. Mm. And I don't think it's a bad thing when we use descriptive labels to advance our- Oh, you have to. Yeah, you have to. Vince Lombardo, that was the person that- Oh, you got it. Yeah, Vince Lombardo. I think he was with the Green Bay Packers. I could be wrong, but he was with an American football team and he was listed as one of the most- significant super coaches of all times mm-hmm. and very uh he's got a lot of fantastic quotes out there so yeah yeah on that you're talking about is talk ups before games and that sort of thing there's mm-hmm. a lot to that there's a lot of inhuman behavioral science that i'm aware of having a positive first yeah introduction well, and, and like so, so you can do things with people that you can't do with dogs like you can convince them to do things positively you can really bring on behavior in the future by talking about past behavior and i do that with rip like all the time like well you know yesterday we'd spend all day together and then at the end of the day i say like hey thanks for having thanks for an awesome day like i really enjoyed that day with you can we do that again tomorrow <laughs> and by doing that you're more likely to have a better day the next day and start and, strong finish strong yeah and yep. then even but even then when he then will say be naughty in whatever way right like he won't go to bed and i'll be like don't wreck the good day we have we had such a good day i'm so happy with you i love you so much like let's let's continue doing this and he'll be like oh, okay got it because mm-hmm. then if you're like just fucking go to bed then that's you're just gonna bang heads yeah so that's the the positive first in the people training and that like that mm. vince lombardo it's the same techniques it's the same thing well i think anybody who really gets it who really applies psychology well understands that you get more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Yeah. I think to close out, to finish the podcast, if you don't want to use it, by all means, don't use it. Like if it doesn't apply to you. Well, it'll be, if it does go ahead, it'll be absorbed by the culture anyway. And in a year, you know what? It won't be you that said it anyway. I'm not so hung up on that. I have to be credited to it. I I just, no, you just want your dollar. Yeah. It's not so much to ask. Yeah. One dollar. Yep. One dollar. To close out, if you enjoy the term and it applies to your business practice, as long as you're not being deceptive in it, go right ahead and use it. Feel free. Distribute it equally. Good luck with it. Hope it improves your standing in the community. I'd love to hear more feedback from people. Love to hear 
the goods, the bads, whatever. I mean, I'm a, like I said, if you put something out there, you've got to be open to criticism. And this wasn't about me having to vindicate myself. This was just about, I think, a discussion around it because I have to take on board what people are saying. And I appreciate it too because there was some thoughtfulness behind it as well. So mm. have fun with it, guys. Enjoy it. All right, let's wrap it up. Yep. That's it for another episode of The Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, jump onto whatever subscription service you download us from, like, rate, share, subscribe, tell a friend. That all helps us get the word out there. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. Head over to patreon.com, type in The Canine Paradigm, you'll find us there, and three bucks a month will get you access to some limited content that only you guys get. And if you want to get in contact with us, do that via Facebook. We are The Canine Paradigm on Facebook. And I think that's it. That's it. All right. Music. Music.